Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A quick warning, the following podcast will contain discussions around the subject of sexual assault. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does its better. On this week's episodes, in the red corner, the late, great Burt Reynolds leads a bunch of city boys on an adventure into the wild, wild wilderness of Georgia. But what should be a pleasant canoe trip downriver turns into a banjo fueled hellscape. From 1972, we're asking for deliverance. These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. Nothing very unusual about them until they decided to spend one weekend canoeing down the Kahulawasi River. Ed Gentry, he runs an art service. Wife Martha has a boy, Dee. Lewis Medlock has real estate interests. Talks about resettling in New Zealand or Uruguay. Drew Ballinger, he's sales supervisor for a soft drink company. Bobby Tripp, bachelor, insurance and mutual funds. Where you going? All right, I'm looking. These are the men who decided not to play golf that weekend. Instead, they sought the river. While in the blue corner, a squad of nine soldiers prove to be the worst kind of advert for the Louisiana National Guard when they run afoul of some Cajuns who might dress like hipsters, but there's nothing hip about murder. Right, kids? From 1981, we're tasting some southern comfort. It will show you as much about survival as deliverance. As much about human courage as Midnight Express. As much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. The bayous of Louisiana, the home of a little understood group of Americans. There are peaceful people as long as they're left alone. The National Guard on weekend maneuvers. In 48 hours, they'll be home with their families. There's only one problem. 
We live back in here. This is our home. They've crossed the boundary into a territory where they don't belong. We ran into some people that are real weird, and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. They violated laws that never knew existed. Somebody figure out where the hell we're going and do it quick. Gotta go east to go north. Damn damn. And the farther they go, the closer they get to nowhere. I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna fight my way out of here. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Christ, what have you? I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Uh... I went early. I just wanted to get it out of the way. That's the only time I'm going to do it. Good. Done. You good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I did the warning at the top, so now I can do the pig impression, right? Fine. Fine. It's a good pig impression, no? Yes, really good. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Well, we've started strong. Uh, before we begin, anyone watch anything unrelated to today's movies? Just as uh, I'm trying to, I'll tell you what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to keep the small talk section that Chris doesn't like, but yeah. I figure if I do it only about things that we've watched, it kind of still sits within the remit of the pod. Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh, Deliverance and Son of Comfort, and that's mm. all I've got to say. Okay. <laughs> I've been watching telly. I've been watching, trying to watch Ozark. Oh, and? I like it. Right. Yeah. I can't believe they got four series out of it, but, <laughs> but I do like it. It's just watching a man get some jobs done, which is quite, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite satisfying. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I watched Yellow Jackets. Oh, yeah. I heard that's good. It is good. Yeah. It is good, except it does that annoying thing that we've spoken about before, where the flash forward at the very start of episode one, yeah. the, oh, this is going to happen. <laughs> They never reach in the entire 10 hours of no, TV. Unacceptable. It never catches up with itself, which is just not fair. No. Nope. And rubbish. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, it's very good. Okay. Very good. All right, good. That's the small talk section out of the way. You don't want to talk about the Batman yet? Are you saving that for a future pod? I know you've seen the Batman. No, I want to get to these films. All right, fine. I'm going to see it on Friday. Is it really three hours long? Yes. <laughs> Fuck oh, yeah. Hell. It is every minute of those three hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Deliverance versus Southern Comfort. Chris's choices. We haven't asked this for a while because we've been doing mm. Clash Putters in Control. A particular reason for picking these? Yeah, you know what? I, I wanted to talk about Southern Comfort is the real reason. I've seen it once 20 years ago and I have a lot of feelings about it. I thought a lot of it and... Every now and then, it's nice to champion a film that maybe people won't have seen because I feel like a lot more people will have seen Deliverance mm. this week already. And so, yeah, hopefully people have checked out Southern Comfort and hopefully didn't hate it. And also, Southern, uh, Deliverance is obviously a classic and one that we've had on list for a long time. So It is. I'm going to happily say this now. I was going to save it for the histories with this movie section, but I had not even heard of Southern Comfort before you made this pairing. Me neither. Right, what was the clue you gave on last week's show? I, uh, uh, terror in the woods. Terror in the great outdoors. Great outdoors, that's right. Then you followed it up on Twitter with? Uh, these are local films for local people. <laughs> uh, I was in the pub. Oh, we have a laugh. Uh, so we're on Instagram and Twitter at ClashPod and the guesses arrived squealing like pigs. Well done. Only two people got the right answer, which isn't surprising considering Southern Comfort was a new one on a lot of us. Well done, Mark Shea, but beaten to it by just under an hour. Andrew Logan, congratulations, multiple winner and first correct guest this week. Your prize is an opportunity to be a ground-level investor in my brand-new immersive deliverance disco experience called Can Who Feel It? Can Who Feel It? Can Who Feel It? Have you not had a busy week? (laughs) 
what's going on? How have you got the time? But I'm asking, how have you got the time? Oh, if only that was the only canoe pun that is going to be heading your way over the next four hours. A lot of fun you can have with the word canoe. I didn't realise. Mm, mm. uh, so, connection section, I'll start. Canoes. Canoes. Yeah, that was my top one. Um... Isn't it so land that should be or will be underwater? Mm. In yeah, so I wasn't going bad. In Southern Comfort, the dawn they say this either used to be all underwater. Yeah, yes, okay. yeah, the, 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 the rivers overflowed, it's flooded, yeah. and that's yeah. why they get lost. No? I couldn't, and also I know it was a clue, but I couldn't stop thinking about this is for local people, just constantly. <laughs> uh, the trailer for Southern Comfort actually mentions deliverance by name and the pastor. I won't lie, it really talks itself up. Uh, the trailer for Southern Comfort it says it will show you as much about survival as deliverance. Show you as much about human courage as Midnight Express, <laughs> and show you as much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. <sighs> okay, big, big swing, talk. yeah, <laughs> big talk. Um, burying men you've killed. Yep. Um, I've written southern hos- southern inhospitality, but also at the end, southern hospitality. Yeah. Uh, the Game law. Shots. The law. What law? Line from Deliverance. Both of them reference the fact that they are in a lawless part of oh, America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What was yours? Oh, just getting, getting, shot. getting shot or not on a river. Getting shot or not on a river. Because in Southern Comfort, he's shooting blanks. They're on a river. Oh, yeah. And in Deliverance, does Drew get shot or not? Good. Yeah, Welcome. I think I think there is that ambiguity in both films in terms of, as you said, about Drew. And also with Coach at the end, we find uh, in Southern Comfort, Coach is hanged. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure if Coach has done it himself or he's been hanged. Yeah. Uh, the character Brian James plays in Southern Comfort is called Amos Moses. Amos Moses was the name of a 1970 song by Jerry Reed, who in 1977 would star in Smokey and the Bandit with Deliverance <laughs> as Burt Reynolds. Wow. Well done. Good. <laughs> Good. We're getting six degrees now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. uh, final one. Getting back from the trip in time for girls. Sex workers in Southern Comfort mm. and the halftime pom-pom girls in American football <laughs> in Deliverance. Very good. Very specific. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, on Thursday, I'll be getting in the Southern Comfort, which means today, Vicky is saying, anything you canoe, I canoe better. <laughs> in Deliverance. V, takes on a journey. City slickers Ed, Drew and Bobby and super intense half-naked maniac Lewis get more than they bargained for on a canoeing trip deep in the remote Appalachians, a river they want to beat because it's there, and after patronising the locals, they are brutalised because, well, because they're there. Lewis kills her assailant, and by claiming there's a sniper hunting them, is an accessory to another murder, thus spreading all the misery and fear and pain as far as he can, before collapsing to ride out the rest of the movie in agony and shouting. An unforgettable and harrowing tale of town versus country, man versus nature and man versus man, You're also just watching four guys experience, possibly for the first time, what it feels like to be unwelcome and unsafe in unfamiliar territory, targeted and preyed on, then potentially disbelieved if you have the audacity to report the ensuing crime. To which all the women watching say, welcome to the party, pal. (laughs) Also stay out of the woods because we do. What? Nothing. I did not say a fucking word. I saw you gesturing. Because I, I knew where, it, I just worked out where it was going halfway oh, okay. through. That was all. I was. It was more about my my male ego. <laughs> going, oh. I've worked out this joke. I know where this is going. <laughs> well, it's funny. There's a, there's a quote. Someone asked um, Walter Hill, although Walter Hill wrote Alien, he didn't direct it. Yeah. He mainly directed action films. And someone said, why do you do action, not horror? He said, horror movies terrorise women. Action movies terrorise men. This yep. is why I do action. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, so when did you first see Deliverance, Chris and Alex? Oh, I would say when I was <laughs> You're about... surprised at that question. <laughs> I am. I haven't actually thought about it. <laughs> we do it every week. I haven't thought about it this week. I haven't really got to think back. I think I was about 13 or 14 and watched it on video and was traumatised. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> 13 days, yes. I don't come out of this well. As we've established Mm. through our conversations about uh, this pairing, as I've said to you already, so I watched it when I was 12, uh, a sleepover with friends, and I wasn't traumatised. And in fact, squeal like a pig entered our lexicon in the school playground that we joke about it. Squeal like a pig! Mm. And uh, ain't he got a pretty mouth? We'd say that all the time. I walked into it this week thinking, well, I don't know what Vicky and Chris are talking about. Mm. The sexual assault scene is, its I remember laughing about it. Mm. It's because I was 12 and didn't really understand what was going sure. on. Yeah. I was about um, 20 and I was with someone called um, Alex, but he doesn't remember that. So fuck me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also with uh, my now life partner, Mark Parsons. And so we, me and Mark went together. And I remember I went round to the flat that he shared with Alex. And I really, really wanted to impress one of them. And I can't remember which one. <laughs> That's funny. And so one of them was like, we're going to put on Southern Comfort. Uh, not Southern Comfort, Deliverance. And I'd never even heard of it. So mm. I was like, okay. I don't think I want to watch this because I could tell from the get-go that because it, it's just so tense and so awful. And then when it finally played out and there's the rape scene, I was just I was shocked to the, the the roots of my hair. Like I was quite a green young person. I didn't know that there was a Hollywood film that would show something like what that. What were you shocked by? Were you shocked by what you were seeing on screen or because Alex was pissing himself? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a squirt like a pig. <laughs> I was just shocked that the, what, what I thought was going to happen to the men did happen to the men. Mm. Because when you're watching horror films, it always happens to the women, but sure. it doesn't happen to the men. And so I was, you know, it was an amazing thing to see. I just thought that it would pull back at the last minute and it wouldn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. So that the fact that it did has always stayed with me. Do you know, I mean, we'll talk about it in the movie. I, I, I remember, I think I remember, or no, maybe I don't remember. I expected Ned Beatty's character to be more traumatised yeah. by it afterwards. And the fact that he just goes... I don't want this getting around. It's about the only reference he makes to it, which yeah. you could argue he's in denial at that point, but... Do you know what my, my theory is on. on that? So, uh, without jumping to the end too much, but just because you've mentioned him, at the end, he seems quite happy, mm. doesn't he, when they're having the meal? Having the meal, it's and John Voight. So, Ed's a mess, and Bobby's not a mess, mm. and I think it's because something has happened to him. So, if he has, you know, if he's secure enough in himself and maybe has therapy or has support or whatever I think he's thinking I can I will be able to get over this because it wasn't me that did it it was a bad person did something to me mm. so I can probably deal with that whereas Ed is like I did the bad thing that's going to ruin my life that's a good theory that's yeah. what I think yeah okay victim versus instigator yeah and that with you know with help or whatever you can put something that happened to you to one side but you've got to live with yourself forever so if you did it it's hard. And I guess, I don't know, we are jumping ahead now, but I wonder if there is still some doubt in Ed's mind about whether he did the right thing and indeed whether the person he killed was the right fucking person. Yeah. Yeah, at that point. Mm. Yeah. All right, then. So let's talk about the film, shall we? So um, my research this week, uh, a lot of it comes from an oral history of this film in Atlanta magazine from 2011 by a writer called Charles Bethea. Um, so the James Dickey, I didn't know anything about James Dickey before I started doing this research, but what a 
odd and scary man. I have lots of words that people have used to describe him who made this movie. Yeah. M- monstrous. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Pain in the arse. Uh, disruptive, intimidating, bruising, uh, possessive. Uh, yeah. Yes. A, a poet. <laughs> so it's, he's also a very famous poet. Yeah. A surprisingly good actor as well. A terrific actor. Yeah, yeah, he is good. So he's, he's the sheriff at the end. He's mm. good in that role. Um, and he, yeah, like you said, Chris, he was a poet laureate before he wrote this novel, Deliverance, which was his first novel, which Warner's then pick up the rights to. Mm. Um, James Dickey wanted Sam Peckinpah, but Warner's wanted John Borman. And John Borman and James Dickey together redid the script that James Dickey had done, which was just as well because his first treatment uh, was seven hours long. <laughs> so there we go. And all these characters are him and his friends. The, uh, his son said that the four main characters are different bits of his personality, but he's also said that Lewis is based on a friend of his. He's Ed because he was in advertising, uh, and Bobby and Drew are both like two other friends. So, and and they would go on trips like this. Yeah. So yeah, apparently James Dickey told John Borman when they met, and I, this is quite a well-known story that he was like, I, "I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone that everything in this book happened to me." I'm laughing because John Borman was like, "Okay," and then wasn't quite sure he was telling the truth because. <laughs> Because he was, sorry, he saw James Dickey try to get in a canoe and he couldn't. <laughs> oh, of no. all the stuff, you'd be like, whoa, but you could clearly. I can't could. believe he could get in a canoe because he could do all these things. But he did He did as well tell each of the actors, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone yeah, before. Yeah. This all happened. And, that's funny. With and they all thought it was this secret story that only they knew. Yeah. <laughs> um, Talking about what James Dickey was like as a person. So he, when the film was being made, he was keeping a journal. And this is an extra from the journal. During the making of the film, he said, it seems to me that I'm the bearer of some kind of immortal message to humankind. Wow. Yeah. So, you know. He was trying to direct the film, though, as well, while he was on set. He made the actors uncomfortable. He'd sort of bully them in the bar in the evenings. Apart from Burt Reynolds, because Burt Reynolds said that he dominated James Dickey. Burrell says he dominated everyone in this film, by the way. Um, But it got to the point where Borman had to ask him to leave the Mm -hmm. set and um, he wouldn't go. And he he said, if you go, you can come back and play the sheriff at the end. He said, you'll never see me again if I go today. And he said, fine. And so Dickie left and then about a week later came back so he could play the sheriff. Because he knocked four of Borman's teeth out, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, they Apparently had a, fight, they had a fist yeah. fight and he knocked his teeth oh, wow. out. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I also read that, so they've written this script together, but then when they all get on set and James Dickey is on set, he gets the shooting script and between scene pages one to 19, there's just a big line through it and it says, don't film this. So it's like, that That must hurt. Like, that's quite rude. <laughs> like, ask him for a rewrite or whatever, but don't just put a big cross through it and just say, we're not doing that bit. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so then casting, um, so it was going to be made, it was going to be like, you know, it was a big it was going to be this big star vehicle and John Borman said that he got Jack Nicholson and also Marlon Brando but obviously they were quite expensive so it becomes one of those films it's like we'll make it for no money we'll make it for two million dollars and we'll get unknowns to do it so Burt Reynolds but at that point was unknown outside of TV it was Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox's debut and John Voight was known for Midnight Cowboy but apparently according to John Borman was kind of off acting at that time so when John Borman got John Voight to be to sort of come back to life and rediscover his love for acting, he would say he saved his life, then spent the whole film trying to kill him. Yeah. Which is quite funny because they did do a lot of their own stunts and obviously that is mad dangerous. Yeah, isn't that part of how they kept the budget down? I don't know. I I don't know if it's a rumour or not because I cannot believe that they managed to make a movie without insuring it. Yeah. But the rumour is that they, they just didn't 
didn't ensure. I read it a the lot, film. and I think it's one of those things that if enough people say it, it's sort of. It, but it, it, I don't think it's possible. No. I mean, whatever. But I just don't think it's possible to make a film without insurance because you're still Warner Brothers at the end of the day. <laughs> like, you don't want to get sued a million times over because John Voight dies. Yeah, but like, they only use a stuntman for one moment of his. And watching the movie with the commentary, he. he, he points out the moment and it's obviously in the river on the river but everything else is Voigt doing those things and yeah I mean it it, it works though because you're seeing his face I think you're seeing genuine fear on his face in yeah. a lot of these scenes yeah there was a scene with Reynolds actually said he wanted reshot where I think it was a stuntman no it was, it a, was dummy. a dummy yeah. he had a dummy going <laughs> over the waterfall and Reynolds mm. said look I'm, I'm going to do that and he goes over the waterfall and the next thing he remembers is waking up with John Borman by his <laughs> bedside and Bert Reynolds goes how did it look? And Bowman goes, like a dummy going over a waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he broke his coccyx, which when I think about that, it's like so painful. Mm. Oof. Yeah, anyway. Um, the, so, so the one other thing, the sort of enduring legacy of the film, apart from the, well, actually, let's just be honest, apart from the sexual assault, which people do talk about a lot, is the use of the song. So there's a song called Feuding Banjos, which becomes Dueling Banjos in the movie. But it was used without the composer's permission, so he sued the ass off them and won which is a nice fact. And it was just a massive hit. So from a $2 million budget, it grossed over 46 and it got three Oscar nominations. So that is a smash. It was like the fifth biggest film of the year or something. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's all I have for now. Uh, the stuntmen who uh, played the guys in the movie uh, still run one of the most successful whitewater rafting businesses in America because whitewater rafting was kind of still in its infancy. Mm. And after this movie came out, people wanted to ride the Chattanooga River because of deliverance. And in 2016, the five millionth person uh, did the uh, the deliverance whitewater rafting experience on the Chattanooga River. It was um, the guy who did the uh, stunt work for Ned Beatty set it yeah. up. And that's yeah, his yeah. legacy, yeah. It, I mean, I read a lot about like tourism in the area just like went, shot up and that's a huge part of the like GDP that people come and they initially came because they wanted this deliverance experience, mm. which is quite mad, really. Mm. But then... It's the river is it's, it's just looks so beautiful. Like you totally get why they're doing this thing, um, even though um, John Borman like desaturated the color in the color palette afterwards because the river itself is much more beautiful in real life and much more lush. Mm. Um, but even even in this, which is supposed to be sort of off-putting and flat, it looks amazing. The only other thing I have is obviously being a massive Burt Reynolds fan. Um, this was his breakout role. I didn't realise, because I, I came to Burt Reynolds in Deliverance after Burt Reynolds in Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. So it was very weird for me watching this, just simply seeing him without a moustache, because I'd never seen Burt Reynolds without a moustache. But he got the gig because he was like an amazing chat show guest. And he was being cast in the same kind of movie, in the same kind of roles. And then he became very famous on the chat show circuit for just being very funny, very mm. self-deprecating. And John Borman saw him on one of these chat shows and gave him the break in Deliverance. And Bill yeah. Reynolds says, it's the first time I haven't had a script with Paul Newman's and Robert Redford's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> when we talk about the film, I'd like to talk to you about Bert because I know, I know you love him. Mm. And the first time I watched the film, Lewis just annoyed me so much and I get it more now that He's I'm a, meant to be annoyed. exactly yeah. yeah I just didn't get that at first I was like what is this like why are you half naked all the time and you've got this pretend thing that you're like you know the man of the woods but you can't quite handle it and it only made sense to me on the second viewing that he's, am I right? Like it's a lot of posturing, but yeah. because he spends the last half of the film in agony. And there's there's one moment where you realise that where it, the film says very clearly, this is a, a man child. This is a, a boy pretending to be a man. And I didn't notice it until this watch. And it's when they're camping out 
and John Voigt goes over to where Burt Reynolds is sleeping and he's sleeping in the fetal position, sort of oh. like murmuring to himself. Mm. It's all they can do other than put his thumb in his mouth yeah. to go, this is a child playing at being oh, a man. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You'll know this phrase, but we used to use it when I used to play hockey and a bloke would show up with the most expensive stick and the most expensive <laughs> trainers and then be crap. Yeah. All the gear and no idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, li- and that's what Lewis is in this yeah. film. Yeah. It's little things like when he sort of touches John Voigt's bow and go, you're losing glass on that. It's like sort of like that hierarchy that like, yeah, I, I know what glass is on a bow. So I'm, yeah. I'm actually the real deal. I get it. Yeah. I get it now more now. It's just when I first saw him, the way he's dressed and the fact that he's even got a bow and arrow, I was like, that is pretty intense. Like, It's the guy who wears like, you know, it's like we were saying when we were talking about Godzilla, like making the joke about the halo jumpers who wear the parachutes to a meeting. The fact that he's wearing his wetsuit <laughs> top from the get-go <laughs> yeah. it's like here we go I'm with the, already arm, with, with the arms cut off yeah yeah and that's the other thing when I was 19 I was like what is he wearing mm. I didn't realise he just cut the arms yeah. off I thought he looked cool he looks like fetish gear <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> it does alright let's talk about the film then shall we yeah. so we're going to meet our four friends they are laughing about this disappearing river um, it's called the what is it Kahula Wasi River in the film but it's the Chattooga River it's going to be dammed to generate electricity there's this voiceover sort of set in the scene there's a mention of the work that's happening raping the landscape which mm. is quite on the nose I suppose for mm. what's going to happen and um, we'll come back to that. Have you ever been to... I only ask because I have, so this is one of those leading questions. Sure. That is quite annoying. There was a reservoir in Leeds called Thrustcross Reservoir mm. that in the 1990 drought lowered to such a level that you could walk round the town that it had buried. Wow. Um, under there that they'd flooded. And this it was called West End was this town. And in fairness, it was dying before they flooded it. It was like six houses left um, which were occupied and they took away all the sacred items from the church and everything before they did it, like they moved the church at the yeah. end of this. But walking round the basin of a reservoir, round a town that has been underwater for, at that point, 40 years, is a very surreal experience. I bet. Which adds a kind of eeriness to this whole movie when you've experienced it and they keep going on about this won't be here. Yeah, mm. it's hard to get your head time. around the scale mm. of it. Mm. That I I've never seen that body of water. Yeah, you know and, I mean? and they're saying that, you know, when they bury the body, it will be hundreds of feet under the under the water. You mm. think, that's a lot. That's a long way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the, so the four of them, they're urbanites. Although we, we'll keep talking about Lewis. He's a sort of outlier in that. He is an urbanite, but he's kind of pretending that he's not. Yeah, um, he's a he's a he's a wannabe survivalist, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. The machines will fail. Oh yeah, I forgot about all of that. Yeah. Oh, he's a proper like yeah. you know. We'll have to go we'll, back to basics. Yeah, we're gonna so. have to live off the land, and I'm your best hope mm. to do that. Yeah, it's a shame that he's actually not, because you kind of need one of them in your pack of friends. Like for instance, which of us knows how to start a fire for real? But it, he I'm isn't, looking at he isn't, Chris, though. not you. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, I you mean I, in us? I don't want to spoil today's quiz if there is a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the quiz when we get to the quiz. <laughs> I have some stats for the quiz. Can you start a fire? Uh, yeah, uh, just give me a lighter. Bang. <laughs> I'm off. I'm off to the races. A book of matches. Wallop. <laughs> crash. I mean, I had my orienteering proficiency badge from the Cub Scouts. Oh, yeah, I did well, all there that. You go. I, yeah. I, I'm absolutely... I've, Maybe you find this hard to imagine. Useless. So I can't do anything. I've canoed. So I'm just dead weight. I've canoed. I've white, I've white water rafted. I've. Have you abseiled? No, I'm not, not, not a big fan of the old heights. No. So that's never appealed. Well, I could handle that part then because I have okay. abseiled and climbed. And can you, make, okay. can you put up a tent? Yes, I can. Exactly. Actually, I can put up a Gosh. tent. A, yeah. a proper tent. Not one of those ones where you open it, it goes, Poof, <laughs> and it just <laughs> springs out and you just nail it into the ground. <laughs> You, you mean that kind of tent, don't you? No, I've put, I think I've once put up a proper tent, <laughs> oh. but I don't recall it staying up. 
Okay. I'll, I'll handle the tent then. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably kill dinner for us, though. Yeah, I would. You? I would take that. Yeah, I would. Think, I think I'd be all right. At that. I've survived a wet Glastonbury. I can do pretty much anything. Yeah, that's true. I've never understood it at Glastonbury. When it's a wet Glastonbury and Ugh. you get there, I've arrived, and granted, the space is short, but the people who pitch their tents the anywhere near a Fucking Portaloo yeah. are just insane. It's like, yeah. got to be near the toilets. How close, though? Because <laughs> shit happens. <laughs> it is bad. Uh, so where are we up to? Yeah, anyway, they're, uh, they're, they're clearly tourists. They've got clean claws. Everything is hilarious to them. Um, and they ask uh, the Griner brothers to take their vehicles to Aintree, Aintree um, to meet them at the other end. So they're going to they're gonna r- ride the river. They're very confident that they're going to make it. Do you think Hal Needham saw Burt Reynolds driving that 4x4 four four and went, I could watch this all day because <laughs> there's moments when he's racing along in the 4x4 talking to John Voigt, a.k.a. Sally Field, in a few years' time. And you're just like, this is the bandit. It's like he yeah. pulls up to he's the dead end. He's just good at driving and talking. He's but he so drives good. on the wrong way. He, gets, he, get, he takes them to the wrong place. So yeah. he's already leading them into trouble Yeah, yep. with, his, with his arrogance and his pig-headedness. Yeah. There's a moment where he reaches the end and he goes, well, we fucked up. And you're like, hang on. And I rewatched the scene in Smoking the Bandit where he reaches a bridge that is out and he goes, well, that's not good. I'm like, it's the same life, just deliverance. Um, so we get the, the well, not the first, but for me, that like the major scene that is just so hard to forget and it's parodied mm. and referenced quite a lot. Drew's got a guitar and he does a duet with Lonnie, the banjo boy. Um, so this is, there's so much going on in this scene. Mm. It's Drew thinks he's teaching Lonnie to play the banjo because he's doing a simple melody and he's doing the sort of call and repeat thing. But then when you get to the actual dueling banjos part of it, Lonnie's just he doesn't need teaching. Like he knows how to play the banjo mm. and he can do anything. Yeah, well, he, uh, I think Drew thinks they're in harmony because they're playing together. But when you get to the end, you realise, no, for that kid, that was an actual duel and he's just fucking defeated you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's not what he thinks at all. It's 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 a brilliant, it's a, just a, a brilliant five minutes yeah, of film. Yeah, because this is, it comes really early on. We're still not even really in the act one turning point, act one turning point being they find the river. But this is what stuck with me when I watched it when I was like 20. I was like, this is going, this is not going to be good. No, Everything no. is going to be Isn't bad. It? It's amazing. Everything that's said and done and every glance tells you yeah. something bad is on the horizon. Yeah. I mean, what a line, though, where Drew says, I'm lost. It's like, obviously, you can have double meanings. I'm lost. I worked out at least three meanings mm. for that line when Drew says it towards the end of the song. He goes, I'm lost. And you're like, right, one, you're lost in the song. Two, you guys really don't know where you are or what you're mm-hmm. getting into, so you're lost geographically in terms of civilised society. Yeah. Three, Drew is the one who's going to get lost, as in die. It's like fucking three reasons <laughs> for having that one line yeah. there. Yeah. And maybe you've lost your way in life, mm-hmm. uh, being in the city, being slickers mm-hmm. and being away from this nature. Um, and, it, you know, it's interesting watching it. That it. Technically, it's brilliant because we all know now that that's not his hands doing the guitar. Yeah. You cannot tell when you watched. That looks like that is his yeah. hand. Yeah, I, does, yeah. I watched it trying to work it out. It's so well done. Yeah. Our second movie with Lonnie as well. Mm. Big Fish. Yeah, he's in Big Fish. Is he? Sitting on the porch. Yeah, we talked about it then. When Ewan McGregor arrives in town, it's just a split second, but he's on the porch playing oh, the banjo. He? Oh, okay. Or not playing that. the banjo. Or yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he can't play the banjo to this day. But they, the guy whose hands they really used, they didn't credit. Yeah, because they didn't want anyone to know it wasn't him playing yeah. the banjo. Bastards! I just, I'm, I, it's a shame. I mean, 
it's a shame I think he didn't learn how to play the banjo after this because he could have made a lot of that's money. That's true. Well, actually, on around. that point. Oh my so... God, yeah. What a missed business opportunity. I think he's very yeah. happy just working in his local Walmart and having a quiet life. He strikes me as that kind of person. Well, this is a quote from him which made me laugh my head off. So, yeah, in 2011, he was working at Walmart um, and he was saying that people still recognised him um, from his role in Deliverance. <laughs> he said, um, after me and my wife divorced, I had my address changed and I haven't got a cheque from Warner Brothers since. That was six years ago. They were giving me about 20 bucks a month. I just want to find their main office and get my address fixed. Aww. $20 is a lot, but it's not worth fighting my ex-wife for <laughs> Which is, I get it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and the other, the other thing I thought on this viewing is that when they are doing the duel or the duet, or the fight, or whatever, everybody starts to dance and sing, and everybody seems to be relaxing a little bit. Everybody, yeah. I think. I don't think there's one person that's like, this is bad. And so when that's in that moment, you, the, the city slickers could be forgiven mm-hmm. for thinking that their music has like united the factions kind of thing, like town versus country and all of that. Yeah. But we're just human beings, and we all love to dance and things like that. And so you could take it as a good portent, a good sign that through the power of music, we can communicate. But of course, that's not true. And Reynolds says... Uh, after they shot this, nobody told the old guy to dance. Oh, really? <laughs> that, guy, that guy just did it. Wow. Because he loved it so much because mm. we're all human and we all like to dance. Um, it is. And yeah, it lulls you as the viewer into a slightly false sense of security. Yeah, that's what I think too. Um, we will go down the river after a short break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's more to Irish history than St. Patrick. And Shane Todd and Hazel Hayes are here to tell you all about it on We're Not Fucking Historians, the Irish history podcast with a few facts and plenty of crack, like the legendary Irish warrior Cucullin. Some sources say he killed the dog by driving a hurling stone down its throat. Now, he's six. Here's a... Did someone say the naughty step? Jesus, someone, someone went to bed without supper, didn't they? Someone called Super Nanny because he's at it again. Or Ned Kelly, Australia's infamous Irish-born bush ranger. Punishment was imprisonment with or without hard labour. I'd, I'd prefer without. If possible. Yeah. If it's going. Do you, have, do you have any without hard labour? Yeah. Can I have the without labour substitute, please? Can, can, I get, I, can I get the hard labour on the side? Can I get almond um, <laughs> instead of hard labour, please? Search We're Not Historians. That's We're Not Historians in your favourite podcast app for weekly episodes every Tuesday. Let's see what these people have said about it. Amazing. The Times. <laughs> Whoa. New York Times. A lot of times. <laughs> Great, Hazel herself. <laughs> We're not fucking historians. Is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. All right, so we do get to the river after Bert Reynolds tries to get them lost. What I liked about this? Well, hey, sometimes you need to get lost to find. Yourself. I mean, this is the thing. First time I saw it, I was like, shut up. <laughs> but then second time, you're like, there is always one person in the group that says stupid shit like that, and no one says. Shut up! Mm. <laughs> Just stop. He's, he's full of stuff like that, like sort of armchair philosophy and like. Yeah, there's, but- there's characters in both of these films this week that that say that kind of thing to 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 try and sound deep or macho, and actually, if you dig into it, it's just a load of it's bullshit. Bollocks. Yeah, mm. agreed. It's all talk. Yeah, except that. No one can really call him out on it. And Drew eventually does call him out on it, but that's when things have really got quite serious because they do kind of need him. I mm. mean, it, it, it's that weird thing. If they were sitting in a bar in a city, one of them would go, shut up, Lewis. Yeah. But they have to accept that he's the only one who at least on the surface appears to yeah. be adept in this environment. So they don't have the ability to go, stop talking shit because yeah. they need him. I agree with you. I, but I also think that when they get on the river... They do kind of, whether it's because the actors had quite a bit of training about how to like drive a canoe. That's not right, is it? Pilot a canoe? I think you sail. sail. Do you really sail, you a, sail canoe? a canoe? Row a canoe. Row a boat. Be, do a canoe, mm. right? You know when I said there was a lot of fun to be had with canoes earlier? Paddle. <laughs> there Paddle. you go. Thanks. Thank God. <laughs> There's our leader out there, our Lewis. When we hit the great outdoors. There we go. Yep, well, the three of us will be standing on a riverbank going, what do we do with it? And we'll have that conversation while people look on and go, they're all going to die. <laughs> what do I mean is, they seem to know a little bit what they're doing. Mm. So if you were watching a horror film and these were teenagers, they'd be frat boys and girls, they would have got drunk and they would have gone canoeing and they'd be silly and they wouldn't know what they were doing and they'd get picked off one by one. In this, it's got all it's got some tropes of a horror movie, but they do kind of know what they're doing. So you want to watch them sail, canoe, whatever. <laughs> Paddle. Paddle. Mm. I did because I thought I love it in a film when you learn something. And I thought by watching these men paddle this canoe, I could learn how to canoe a bit. 
Wow. Do you not think? Do you wow. not feel like that? I mean, you can put up a tent from watching <laughs> what the great outdoors, and now you can paddle a canoe from Deliverance. No, I'm not saying I could do it, but I would. I feel like they taught me a few things. I, I had. I you had. Know a... there, are the, there is the internet. You don't have to watch a two and a half hour movie. <laughs> there, you could just watch how to paddle a canoe. I had a very on bad. YouTube. I had a very bad incident uh, canoeing uh, with. I mean, this girl was trying to canoe to this little island off this beach, and. We got into trouble about halfway to the island. And what I definitely discovered is that the more panicky you get, the less you're canoeing in harmony with each other. Mm. And the worse it's the worse the situation becomes. Right. And we were getting for some reason, we were both getting annoyed with each other because I think we both thought we were going to die. Right. And so that was stressing us out and we were almost taking out on each other. And it was just this really horrible, just relax and try and get this rhythm back. And it was really hard. And that's what we wouldn't learn watching this is that it's just all rhythm. And when this other stuff starts happening, you find it really hard just to keep oh. keep consistent. So you've you, got to have harmony with your partner. You, you know who you nice. needed in that scenario? Me, who was a member of my local canoeing club at Fernville Swimming Baths. We put the canoes in have the you, swimming why are you pool. Why saying this now? Well, because I was waiting to an opportunity yeah. to, to look like a big deal. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we did the, uh, I don't know what it's called anymore. I can't imagine it's called this, but at the time it was called the Eskimo roll, where well, you hate it. Capsize hate and it. then right you yourself. That. Yeah, that's why, that's why you... I much preferred the whitewater rafting to the canoeing, even though maybe the whitewater rafting was, was more frightening. But just that having to do that mm. roll under the water and roll back up just psychologically I could not cope with it I, I did it but I hated the, I hated the concept and, and if you did get stuck would you be able to wriggle out or are you trapped in it no you can swim out of the canoe but yeah. it's not that easy no 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 it's not because you've got something that yeah. basically seals the mm. uh, yeah okay you've got to put you've got to rip that up and and, and swim out mm. um no. how did your arms get on with the Canoe. He yeah. used the big <laughs> stick, whatever that's yeah. called, and he pushed it down to the bottom of the pool and then propelled himself upwards, I think, because obviously there isn't enough you, uh, upper body strength. Mm. You're talking about, well, you're talking about my dense bones. Yes, yes, Right, yes, you're talking sorry. about my dense bones. Yeah, I mean, the problem was I'd come straight out of the canoe and sink to the bottom of the pool, right? Because <laughs> of how dense my bones are, I'd just lie there waiting to be dragged back yeah. up. Just sitting on the bottom. <laughs> I've got to remember dense bones. I keep saying weak arms and that's so much more offensive. Yeah. Dense bones. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, they yeah they canoe, they do canoeing, and it's gorgeous. And you sort of you know completely get why they're doing it. Then they camp out, they have a few drinks. I think Bobby says he's going to wank into an air mattress, which I'm a yeah. bit upset by. But he does. I'm pretty sure that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Gross. Which is gross. Well, he's got to sleep on that. But it's gross already. And then you're like, whatever, whatever floats your boat, Bobby. But then he climbs into a tent next to Ed. He's sharing a tent and fucking an air mattress. <laughs> you just don't do that. And for the record, if we do do this camping trip, if I hear either of you having fun with an air mattress, <laughs> yeah, I'm going no, home. No, unacceptable. <laughs> unacceptable. unacceptable. But, but yeah. anyway, boys, eh? Drew, boys, d- boys. Drew points out at this point, it's Drew who sort of goes, Lewis does, doesn't feel these things about nature. He's just learnt them, you know, mm. which I think alludes to this idea that he's just parroting stuff. It's like, it's not sort of innate knowledge. Yeah. It's, just, it's just like what we do now is if you read a, re- a website and go, I know about that and I'm just going to parrot the website. Yeah, and some people's mm. reaction to city living is to be like, oh yeah, but I occasionally go for a walk in the woods so I know everything about the woods and then when you get to I mean it's so I'm you know I'm always obsessed with how the like the geography of the landscape you grow up in completely affects your psychology and I'm obsessed with the idea that because we we all grew up in Britain it's, it's very hard to get you can do it but it's quite hard to get lost in Britain and all the rest of it so this sense of safety 
that we might have in the wilds, and especially now with GPS and mobile phones and all the rest of it, like it's quite difficult to get lost. Whereas obviously in the US, you definitely can get lost mm. and you definitely can die. But yeah, but you don't think, I mean, I think that's, that's an interesting point. I think it's what both of these films do well, is really establish how that is possible. Because you, th- I mean, I, I think even as like a, a, a Brit, you do think of the US. I certainly did when I watched Deliverance for the first time. It's it's a major developed country, the most powerful country in the world. You don't think of it as a place so big that you could get as lost as mm. they get in these films. And certainly Deliverance does a good job of going, yeah, it's very possible, and relaying that to an audience who might not understand that. Mm. Yeah. Where, yeah, and then, yeah, that's one of the... With Southern Comfort, I always felt like they were, like, just off a motorway. It is more annoying in Southern Comfort because you are, are like, are you really that lost? Yeah, it just doesn't... You don't get this the sense of scale mm. the same. Um, so in the morning, just a little bit of... Um, structure bore for a second mm. we're in the morning so we're into act two but nothing has changed which is interesting in another another writer would have done it and you can totally see it that there would have been an incident that happened during the camping during the night where when they set out on the river some alliances had shifted or something had happened or some and then they do hear something and they freak out but it's quite dealt with like fairly quickly is it yeah yeah no you're right I guess that I guess that the only moment the big moment is the deer where, yeah. where John Voigt can't uh, pull the arrow on the beer and attempts to tell Lewis about it, but Lewis isn't listening. Yeah. All that's really happening is Lewis is bullying Bobby and mm. he's starting to lose his shit with that. He's mm. he's getting quite affected yeah, by but it. He, but on the morning, he's like, oh, I'm going to be with you today. And he's not like, I don't no. want to. I think it's really good. I mean, because it wrong-footed me because you expect it. And again, if it was a horror film, it would have been like, oh, but someone's gone missing or whatever. And nothing really has changed no, materially. It's, 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 it, but the atmosphere feels like it's changing, doesn't it? And they're, they're just, they're, the tension seems to be mounting. But you're right, there's not an incident. Yeah. It's just, you know, little things like seeing seeing the, the banjo boy on the bridge yeah. as they go by. That's giving you a lot mm. with nothing. Do you think, interesting question, structure bore. Sure. Um, do you think that's an intentional thing, perhaps? Can you do that? Does that work to basically... By not having anything at that moment and then the rape scene happening just a little bit later, mm-hmm. it either lulls people into a false sense of security, believing that they've already seen what they would expect to see at that point, or builds tension because people know, actually, something really needs to have happened around yeah. now. And so they're on the edge of their seat going, something has to happen because yeah. of your innate knowledge of film. I think it's both, isn't it? Because you can be wrong-footed and you can relax a little bit because nothing has happened. So maybe nothing is... Go- if you've never seen it before, maybe nothing is going to happen. Mm. And then when it does, it's so much more shocking. Also, because you've got to the uh, the turn, turning point, and when the attack starts on Bobby, you would be forgiven for thinking maybe it won't happen because nothing happened before. Mm. And you were camping outside yeah, and you heard yeah. a noise and nothing happened. Which is So it's like a double shock. That's interesting. I wonder why more films don't do that then, if that is actually a tool in a writer's armoury. I mean, I suppose it depends what you've got up your sleeve, doesn't it, for the thing that happened. Yeah, okay, and and yeah. it does all kick off 35 minutes in to yeah. an hour and 50 minute movie. So mm. it's yeah. not too far after you'd expect it to happen. It's sure. just a bit longer than usual. And part of that as well is just getting us a bit sort of accustomed, I think, to the river and being on this journey with And you start to them. feel, if, when you're projecting into someone's headspace, you start to think, well, do you know what? Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can ride this river. Maybe I will be all right. Because no, it's gone all right so far. Mm. So that when it goes wrong, it's so, it's so disappointing and you feel so stupid for thinking that you could have done it mm. kind of thing. It is one of those things, isn't it? You do watch films like this. I ser- Well, I certainly watch Deliverance. And when you haven't seen the poster, for example, or you haven't seen the trailer, or you know nothing about a movie, you are 
wondering if anything is going to happen. This could, for all intents and purposes, be a, tr- a, a story about four guys getting to know each other. And, yeah. you know, the river is the, the enemy and yes. can they survive the river? And there's going to be no external forces. That's what I thought first time. Before the banjos, I was like, this film, I'm just gathering from the cover and all the rest of it. It's just the river's going to turn on them. Mm. And that's kind of it. And they will, the group will fracture. But mm. I was not expecting what happens next. Mm. Um, so Bobby and Ed, they run into Mountain Man and Toothless Man, so they don't get names. Um, and they just, it's not going to go well. So nothing Bobby says makes it any better. So he offers to buy whiskey from like, he sort of assumes that they, they're making moonshine and that's offensive or maybe not. They don't really seem to, it doesn't really seem to like There's no consequence. piss them off. Yeah. There's no consequence. I, I read it as there's no consequence to anything Bobby or Ed say. These guys, from the moment they meet them, yeah. know what's going to happen. And so yeah. everything is just entertaining to yeah. them, pretending to be offended by the idea that they're running a still, pretending yeah. to be reasonable at one point. It's all just like, we don't, We are going to do what we're going to do. Yeah. So they, so they strap Ed to a tree, they make Bobby strip, they make him squeal like a pig, and then he's raped by Mountain Man. No pun intended, but it doesn't feel like their first rodeo. Oh, mm. no, it doesn't. No, not in a million years. God, no. Mm, no, not at all. Which, I never thought that. Although, would, but, any, would anyone have been... They, everyone keeps saying no one ever comes down exactly. this river. <laughs> this is the first time they've seen city folk come down this river like this because it's a crazy thing to do. Yeah. Which is why it's weird that they sort of seem to have their roles worked out and like it all sort of runs like clockwork. God, this sounds awful, but no, you know but what I mean. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I never thought of it. I suppose I thought that... I don't know. It's just something that either happened to them and they were copying or repeating or in different towns or in the town in a different in a different group of friends, mm. whatever. But yeah, now that I think about it, if you've never, if you don't see that many tourists, it's quite a risky thing to do because you don't know anything about them. You don't know who they are, where they're going. I suppose you just think you, yeah, you don't think about those consequences because they could be anyone. They could have loads of weapons and it doesn't turn out that well for Mountain Man in the end. Yeah. Um, so this is a dark fact, but uh, James Dickey's son is called Chris Dickey mm. and he wrote a book about his time on Deliverance because he was there during the shoot and he was quite young and they used him as a stand-in for Ned Beatty so that the actors could hit their marks. <laughs> so they made him climb the leafy bank and they made him bend over a log. Um, and he said no one was sure how far it would go or how convincing it would be. So it's well directed. I wasn't in my underwear. I was fully clothed, thank God. But it was, that's my emphasis, thank God. Um, he says, but it was a very unpleasant sensation lying over a log with your ass up in the air in a scene that's eventually going to be ripped. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. That's, that's not funny. But that's, um, that's, his, that's the writer's son. And I just can't get my head round. Yeah, you need someone to stand in. I get mm. it. It's a tight budget. You don't want to waste a day. Get a grown up to do it, I think. Mm. And I mean, I think, you know, when you've got a dad like that, like, I don't know what your life is like, but I'm not sure that that helps relationships any. An interesting experience is what we'll say. Mm. But it was interesting, all the, all the pig stuff came out of them doing the TV version. Mm. Borman said there was a lot of swearing in the script in this scene. Yeah. And, and, and then we had to do this clean version and the pig stuff came in and became more and more. And we just realised we abandoned the, the swear words because this was much more frightening. It is it's, much more frightening, mm, it's definitely. The, it's the film's uh, Indianapolis speech moment because no one's quite sure where Squeal Like a Pig came from. Yeah. Apparently it was what a crewman was like, well, look, if you can't swear, why don't you just have him squeal like a pig? Just yeah. some random person on the production. And they were like, that's great. And they've kept that in. It just, is scary because it's, it's like a game. Basically, it's childish. And it's unbelievable acting from all four people here. You know, uh, 
John Voight sells it. We're sort of see it. We're trapped with him and seeing it through his eyes. The camera yeah. doesn't move. You, the characters move, but the camera doesn't move, and we're him. And then obviously Ned Beatty sells the shit out of it. But those two other actors as well, Bill McKinney, the Mountain Man, mm. and and the guy Cowboy Coward, who plays Toothless. So, yeah. So that I think the the guy they had for this, they couldn't find a guy without teeth. Yeah. To play this role. And not many actors wanted to remove their teeth for it, as Bert Reynolds <laughs> said. Uh, we quite like our teeth. So he said, I remembered I worked with a guy called Cowboy Coward at a stunt show in a ghost town 15 years previous. <laughs> so I told Borman about it. He phoned up the stunt show. Is Cowboy Coward there? Yeah, he's over here. Got him over. And, and next thing you know, he's shown up on set having a drink. He likes a drink, Cowboy Coward. <laughs> and um, just this surreal but totally believable character. Yeah. yeah. Toothless. And you know when when something when you when something bad happens and you can't focus, you can't look at the whole bad thing because it's too much. So mm. what you what you do, so I keep saying you, what I do is I focus on a little thing instead. So when you've been through a terrible experience, it, you just I just snag on this one thing. And a lot, I think a lot of people do that. The thing that I always snag on with this, because you can't really look at the scene in its fullness, is um, Bobby's pants. Mm. And I can't go up with He's just got these massive, massive pants yeah. on. And he just looks like a big baby. Yeah. It looks like a big nappy. You just feel you just feel so bad. And it's not that he's the perfect victim, but there is something about him and the way that he complies. And that doesn't seem to do anything. And he doesn't try and like macho it off. Or... And because he's, I think there's something to do with the fact that he's the most out of shape. He's the most, uh, he's lived the city life to the fullest. You know, there's no muscle on yeah. him. He's, he, he's the one who, you know, he's got the least chance of escaping. Yes. Yeah, but he doesn't. That's why I love you. Love him for that because he complies. Which is, if you're in that headspace, you're like, well, that's what you would do. You don't want to die, so you comply. And you, but you have this faint hope that it would stop the thing from happening and it never does. Mm. And he does, he plays by those rules. He doesn't play by pretend man rules in, in, in action films where it's like, well, absolutely no way, I'd rather get killed kind of thing. He just does what he's told and it still doesn't work and you just feel for him. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I said, the first time I saw it, I was so shocked because I couldn't believe that it was happening to men same as it would happen to women and not that things like that don't happen to men but it's such easy currency when it happens to a woman you see it in fucking everything you can see it in a fucking advert basically if you wanted to but you just never see it well I'd never seen it the other way an advert for, well, sorry an advert for what, what I mean is women's bodies are easy currency aren't they like you see women's bodies all the time you see allusions to um, non-consensual acts are, are easy currency to sell you shit mm. Any horror film. Alex just wants to know what advert. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm was, it sorry. A, was it Mars Bar? <laughs> I tell you what, I'm, I'm not I'm this person, so sorry. but the Milk Train bit... Man has got a lot to answer. No, fair enough. There <laughs> we go. Good she example. came back. She came back. Absolutely. Nailed it. Exactly. Nailed it, Vic. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Letting himself into people's rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> got you. We can move well, on. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a balaclava. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that is with a code name so dreamy so romantic <laughs> I love it when you break into my home <laughs> uh, so Lewis this is this is good like you said you need Lewis because Lewis he doesn't miss unlike Ed did mm. with the deer before and he shoots Mountain Man um, so now you've got the who dies and you've got the mandatory in this kind of film let's take a vault scene <laughs> it is good because Lewis is capable yeah, in this scene yeah, so yeah. It, it's like you've sort of you're starting to lean into Lewis's all bluster and then he actually proves himself 
Yeah. In this moment. So he's not, you know, I like the fact that the characters here are quite complex. It's do like you, think you can Lewis... write people off and then you can't. Yeah. Do you think he's enjoying himself a bit too much? Oh, yeah. He's 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 intent. He actually wants to kill a human being. He does, doesn't he? Because he yeah. could have shot him in the leg. Because he's a good his, shot. So... This is his opportunity to kill a human being, which is, I think, what he's been getting at. And what we've been sort of alluding to. But then that sort of, I get it, but it doesn't that sort of contradict he's all exactly. gear and no idea right. kind of thing? Because This is why I, yeah. I, it's, it's so complicated because, yeah. you know, the fact that he, he does it, gets a centre shot, likes the fact he's done it. Like you say, you know, there is this thing where he doesn't hesitate to do that, which isn't the Lewis that we have been shown up until this point or yeah. at least been led to believe. Yeah. But it's interesting how they all react now because, I mean, he's still dying the mountain now yeah. while they're discussing it. But Drew's the one who says, can we do anything for him? Yeah. You know, the rest are ready to finish him off and bury him. Yeah. This guy wants to help him, save him potentially. Yeah. And Lewis has just killed a guy, you know, which is a, a big, big thing to do. And yet what I love about this is the fact that he then reverts to this childish thing. Like how often in a playground have you gone to win an argument? Right. Let's just take a vote. You believe in democracy, right? Let's just take a vote. Mm. And the fact that he pulls that card yeah. on Drew to get his argument through because he knows he's going to win. Like, you know, as though that is democracy in action, as though not discussing it, talking yeah. it through, finding out more information, finding out how people feel yeah. about this, just immediately taking a vote when Lewis wants to. That's mm. how you do it. And that's democracy. Yeah. And also the, the the dark thrill, but still a thrill of recognition where they're like, oh, we could go to the police. And it's basically, we will not, we'll either won't be, our side of the story won't be believed. We'll go to trial. And do you want to be in a trial full of these people's family and peers? Lewis says that, yeah. Yeah. And you do think, no, I fucking wouldn't. Exactly. Obviously. And he's proved right at the end. That's the crazy thing. Again, yeah. we've been led to believe Lewis is like just all, all talk. And yet that is on the money. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's brilliantly done because you've got the, the scene, the, the assault itself is 10 minutes long, pretty much from beginning to end. And then this discussion is 10 minutes long. And it's so complex because, you know, they talk about when's it acceptable to break the law? When are we above the law? It, they're vigilantes at this point doing what they decide to do. And I'm against the death penalty and I'm absolutely for what they do here in terms of killing that guy and burying him, which makes me a massive hypocrite. <laughs> but the, what the film has put me through and what they put that character through, I'm like, yeah, right on, guys. Which then makes me feel terrible. Yeah. It's giving me horrible emotions, this movie. It's weird, isn't it? Because you sort of think, what if Lewis had shot him in the leg, incapacitated him, but not killed him? Mm -hmm. But then you can't help but think, well, in killing him, he's ended any continuation of this moment for Bobby. Bobby's never going to have to, you know, stand up in court and give evidence about what happened to him. Mm -hmm. So no wonder Bobby's happy that he's dead and... It's it's just interesting because you are like, that's why I think, thank God they killed him because of what he did to Bobby. Not because I believe in the death penalty, but because it ends Bobby's nightmare in that moment. Mm. If you don't believe in the, that you would get justice because there shouldn't, in theory... It's more about Bobby having to then relive that. Not yeah. about get him getting justice, not about him going, like this guy going down for what he did to Bobby. The idea that Bobby, in that, in that, that guy's death, it's over yeah. Like, he doesn't have to relive that moment ever is this? again. This is 17 years before the accused, which is the first time Hollywood ever really dealt with then going to court with something like that yeah. or trying to deal with the repercussions in public. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, this this is probably a good time to talk about Bobby's reaction. I think it's all drawn with Bobby. He wants this, he just wants it buried, like literally and metaphorically. Yeah. And and I think that happy, smiling bloke at the end of the film is is him pretending. Yeah. And 
is gonna it's gonna it's gonna be brutal how this I think he think when I get to the end because the the book is slightly different and there was another ending shot but I think because it all happens quite quickly I think he's thinking if we bury this man now we can mm. just pretend it didn't happen exactly and I also and I will agree. I'm probably not going to see you lot again because that's the easiest way he's to push, pretend he's it didn't happen pushing his trauma down yeah. yeah well he literally says that doesn't he he says, I won't see you for a while after this yeah <laughs> because that's the cleanest break and then he can just go back to his life and not have to look at that again yeah uh, definitely yeah. So yeah, like you say, they bury the body. It's a very shallow grave, but um, there's this I, idea. Didn't that annoy you? As, yeah, I, that annoyed me for considering they've just killed a guy and they're like, right, let's do this. They don't even put stones no. on top of it. I'm like, they later on when they, maybe they just don't want to repeat the weighing down a body thing, but oh, they right. do it with the mountain mm. man and yeah. they do it with Drew, and maybe they don't want to do it here. But you just you'd put like he puts a bit of bark over the yeah. top of it. You're like, that's not going to keep it under but when I, the flood waters. That's come. what I yeah. But I like this, think that I like the stuff with Drew because Drew's obviously been the one that's saying no, and then he's the one that most feverishly starts digging with his hands, and it's like they're descending into this primal world. Where... I think he's trying to say to his friends, if this was if this is what you wanted, then I can do it. Mm. But he's kind of taking the piss a bit by his animalistic acting. There is is so extreme that. He's sort uh, of saying, I don't think he's taking the piss yeah. because of what's about to happen yeah, with him. Exactly. This is this. It, he's starting to oh, feel this. He's whole, having a breakdown. He's, yeah, yeah, the breakdown right. starts here. Yeah. But it's it's also it's them away from the world. There's no shovels. There's no tomb. There's no priest. It's like it, they're back into primal times. And it's also this desperate need to cover it up, literally metaphorically. And that hand refusing <laughs> yeah. that, that's out that's out there. And obviously that hand is going to return. So that hand isn't done with them. Yeah. So well, this is the thing, and but it wrong-footed me both times. So they go back out onto the river, but the river's vicious now. So like nature has turned on them, and the rapids are more serious. And Drew appears to me to go into shock and yeah. sort of have a like a fit or a or or whatever. Seizure, yeah. yeah, a seizure through shock. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And at first you're like, what are you doing? Are you conscious? Have you have you fallen unconscious and you've fallen in the water? Are you doing this on purpose, like a protest that like you're sort of done with it? But it is confusing. So that when Lewis is certain that he's been shot, you agree, are you believe Lewis? Because it's so murky what actually happened. I don't know if I do simply because he's refused to put on his life jacket. Oh, yeah. And so that to me is the clue that I need to tell me that this is part of his breakdown, his seizure, whatever it is. He's just, but it's not, it's not a bullet that's hit him like Lewis thinks because they also say they can't, you know, later on they can't find the bullet. Yeah. They don't find the bullet hole. And so I think, I think the, the life jacket's what, the clue. Yeah, what they say later on is there'll be people in town who'll be able to tell yeah. whether this was a bullet or not. Mm. So even then, I think they're half lying to themselves because there is no wound no. that you can see. Mm. And so they're, they're just, they have to now keep up this idea that he was shot, that yeah. Lewis was right, because otherwise they've killed um, an innocent man. But looking yeah. back on the film, they certainly say that audiences at the time were 50-50 over whether he was shot or I not. I thought he was which, shot. Which is, yeah, and that's, that's their intent and it works brilliantly. Yeah. And you can watch it three times and it's still not clear. It works yeah. because it's such a surreal moment. It is, yeah. yeah. And that's what it's it's just odd. Yeah. It's an odd. And he does go stiff scene. like he, you you see people in movies when they get shot do sort of go stiff in a pose for a second before they fall. And so I know he, he wasn't shot. I thought he was having a seizure. Then I believed Lewis. Then I realized he hadn't been shot. So I go on the roller coaster that, that I think the writers intended. Mm. And it and it, it, it happened to me twice. I mean, and why just Lewis say he was shot? Because he wants to continue this like we're under attack we're under siege now there are people out there hunting us because mm. he's excited by it he's you know and it also justifies his murder earlier and cements the idea in his in the other guy's head that well look if they're now firing it as what Lewis did back there was absolutely right yeah. justification mm. I think it's 
sort of in the mix of like he thinks shock is weakness. So to for that man to say my friend went into shock and fell in the river is like uh, he can't face what's happened, mm. and that's some. It's in the same sort of paradigm as he showed weakness. So we would rather think he was shot and taken down Do rather think, than uh, yeah. But that wouldn't wouldn't the idea that Drew going into shock and being weak actually play into exactly I'm Lewis and I've got this, whereas he isn't me. So he would obviously go into shock because yeah. he's not trained in the way I've prepared yeah. for this moment on the river. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, so. Ed thinks he has to deal with a sniper, the toothless man, and he climbs the cliff. And as we've said, that is John Voigt really climbing a cliff, which is terrifying. Christ, what have you? <laughs> and he's sort of crossing the threshold, isn't he? Like by going, mm. by ascending, he's becoming more wild. Um, I remember watching this as a kid going, this is long. Yeah, it's, it's a very long. long climb. It's very long. But there's a lot going on there because he, he looks at the photo of his family and drops the wallet. Symbolism. So, yeah, so he's, he's losing his connection to his family, but maybe he's lost his connection to humanity here because of what he's about to do. Yeah. And he falls asleep. Yeah. I think, I think when he falls asleep, he's not a killer, but when he wakes up, he's become a killer. Yeah. And you've obviously, we, we didn't go into it in, in detail, but we, we had the setup of him not shooting the deer, the, 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 the handshaking, and so it's going to pay off now. But it's going to put doubt in our minds when he does face that mountain man up there. Mm, well, is that mountain man looking to kill them or is he hiding from them? Is that mountain man the actual toothless man from earlier? Yes. He, we oh, I think he's not. One high, you see, <laughs> there you go. Again, it's another really ambiguous moment. I, I really thought he wasn't because he's got the, he's got, got false teeth in. And I was like, no, that is the toothless man because he would have a set of falsies. But if you wanted to cast, if you wanted to have no doubt, he would have had real teeth. Like, although you have shot the wrong person. So I think the false teeth is to keep us guessing. And then at the end, I felt like he wasn't the right person. He wasn't, that wasn't the toothless man. It was just another person. He's got the same two missing teeth. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I think, (laughs) I think. Because when did he have time to go and get his false teeth? Like. In his pocket. Why has he put them in? Why hasn't he gone to town to report this? Why doesn't he, like, would they not? I guess because he was. Party. So you really think he killed the right person? Yes. Oh, that's I think good. He killed the right person. And I think the only reason he put the teeth in is to put doubt in John Voigt's mind for that moment and for us as the audience so that he can then pull the teeth oh, down and okay. realise. And then the film is less horrifying if he's killed the right person. It's a horrible thing to do, but it's worse to have killed an innocent person. I, I still think it's ambiguous. I think it's intentionally ambiguous. I think, I think you can read it both ways because I think when he pulls the teeth out... So it's the same man? (laughs) That's it, yeah. I'm 99.999% sure it's the same actor. Is it always the same actor? Right, yeah. It is the same actor. But but I think, you know, you play on this whole, like, you know, they're all brothers, like they're all related up there. The idea of, like, another guy having a twin looking exactly very, very similar isn't, like, that far away from, you know, this idea of inbreeding mountain folk. Yeah. Well, talk about... You, when they buried Mountain Man, and it's a you know they've got no tools, they've got no priests, they've got it's back to basics kind of thing. To say that Ed has had a bit of a journey, he couldn't shoot the deer, and then he climbs a cliff and he's turning wild and he loses his family. He then uses a corpse as ballast, which to me is like you've gone well over the hill because yeah, that's... but he's also just fallen on his own arrow as well, yeah. so he's not completely a hundred percent warrior. I just think to use a corpse as ballast is is one of those things that makes perfect sense because there's a practical use for this body in death, and it's also you're not squeamish at all to tie it to a rope. Like you you can face what you've done because you've just tied a rope round it. And... Yeah, 
Although panic as well. I mean, if anything, you know, you, you're desperate to get the body down there to hide it because you are desperate to return to civilization. And the sooner you get rid of this thing and any evidence that it ever happened, a bit like Ned with the um, Bobby with the uh, the rape. It's like you just want to get clean, get a clean blank canvas it yeah, and then get, get on with your done. life. Yeah. yeah. So we're back on the river and then they find Drew and he's wedged in a rock. Weird and that's, image. It's horrible. So mm. I, I only read this yesterday. Mm. That's his real. He yeah. can really do it. He said that he went to John Borman and said, "Yeah, I can do something with my arm if they this were, is of any use." They were going to um, do, and he said, "It's really easy. It doesn't even hurt." It's horrible, isn't it? Go ahead and do that thing with your arm. <laughs> but if you try it, it's not actually. Oh well, he says. I mean, this is a bit sad. He had these are his words, the actor's words, Ronnie Cox's words. I had a light case of polio as a child, and I can do this thing where my shoulder comes out of place and completely mm. dislocates. Can't do it anymore, he said. So he, they were going to do eye um, contacts because they were going to have Drew's body fo- floating in the water face up, but his eyes would be bloated because it would have taken on water and gross and whatever. And then at one point he just said to John Borman, oh, by the way, I can do this thing with my arm. And John Borman's like, like Chris said, fucking brilliant. Do that then. Great, that's a day. That's a day out of makeup. Brilliant. Yeah. It's really, really, really upset him when he's just stuck there. It's a weird. I remember. I think I told you in the week. I was like that. That image is one of the images that really stayed with me from yep. watching this film as a kid. Just him in that position with the arm, yeah, doing his arm trick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then for me, so now we're into like the final act. They make it. They make it home, and the cars are waiting. So the brothers didn't steal their vehicles, and, and Lewis gets to hospital, and, and it feels safe. And so they have this home cooked meal. Ed is a bit of a wreck because of what's happened. Ruins dinner. Ruins dinner. I feel like the tension just sort of drains out of it a bit. I don't feel like... I don't, but I don't know if that's intentional. I think um, James Dickey as the sheriff has got this sort of Columbo moment where he's like, just before you boys leave, one more thing. And you're like, oh, they're fucked. And he's like, why are there four life jackets? You're like, "Mm, oh, that's not a big thing. Because there are moments here... You've got to believe it's intentional because there are moments here which would lend to a much more tense ending. Done differently, there are moments like dredging the river, the discovery of the life jackets, the police turning up and asking Bobby, who's the weakest one, let's say, questions. You feel like you should be like on the edge of your seat. Are they going to be discovered? Yeah. And it can only be intentional that they've decided to have it like very underplayed, very like a lo-fi ending. It's, yeah, I think it's, you know, also as audiences, we are expecting the narrative to end when they reach land, Yeah, when when it's over. But, you know, I, maybe this is the most important period of the film, this 20 minutes of, of them trying to readjust to what's happened. You know, they, nature was supposed to be paradise, but actually they realise that nature is hell and actually being back in the city is going to get them back to, to paradise. And so I think... I think there's a lot of stuff going on here that that is important. There's stuff with the church, you know. They arrive and that church is being lifted up. (gasps) Yeah. And and it's sort of hanging over them saying, I know what you did. And then later on, that church is on a truck being driven away. And it's like, what are we doing to these people? (laughs) We're we're displacing them physically, but we're displacing their, you know, their religion, their their humanity. And so I think there's bits and pieces all over it Mm. that are are important. It just doesn't feel right because we're used to an ending being a a punch. I I saw punchy. Yeah, I kind of get what you mean a little bit. I think I think there are moments here though that were meant to be a little if it was completely intentional, I don't think there would be some of these moments that there are here which I feel are meant to be more edge of the seat moments. Sure. No, but, there's tension there because you you don't know if they're going to be found out. Yeah. Um, but it's really important, I think, the scene when Ed breaks down at the table. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. I've, I've, had, I've read two different readings of this and, and Borman says one thing. I'm not sure I agree with him, but it's, it's, 
he said it's a bloke returning home from war and realising that people can be kind to you still. Mm. It's that feeling. But for me, it was like, well, that's a guy experiencing PTSD in the now. He's, he's breaking down. He's yeah. You'll never enjoy anything in the same way ever again. So simple things like nice food, good company will mm. always be ruined. A sleep, a, a peaceful night's sleep. Yeah, because he obviously has the nightmare yeah. with the yeah, arm, yeah, and yeah. then he, the ending is him with his eyes open. So I don't know. It does feel like the film ended twenty minutes ago, and I did get a bit restless. But also, I thought this, this is there's telling me a lot here that I should be paying attention to. Well, yeah, like you say, Ed's having this dream. So he's dreaming of a hand popping out of the flooded landscape. But so the book, the book's got an epilogue where they return to the city and Ed and Lewis then buy cabins next to a lake. They lose touch with Bobby. This is from the book. I just wanted to read this because I haven't read the book, but this line, I just, I'm obsessed with it. So they lose touch with Bobby, who in Ed's words, quote, would always look like dead weight and like screaming. And that was no good to me. And the repetition of the light, you know what I'm like for stuff like this? Read it like this. Would always look like dead weight and screaming, and that was no good to me. That's powerful. But the repetition of the like, I was like, that that was just incredible. <laughs> he clearly is a poet, but that is fucking awesome. Anyway, that's by the by. So there's another ending where uh, they posited another ending, but it didn't make it to the shooting script. Mm. But what they were going to do instead was rather than the hand rising out of the water... Ed imagined that him and Lewis and Bobby go to see the sheriff and the sheriff has found a body and you, the audience, you don't know who it is. Uh, is it Drew? Is it the mountain man? Is it the toothless man? And then Ed wakes up before you find out who it is. I don't... It's a dream still. It's then. still a dream though. So to right. me, materially, that's not that... Who, who no. cares? Like, no, exactly. And and Borman said that the arm coming out of the water, he's obsessed with um, King Arthur and the Lady <laughs> of the Lake Excalibur and that was his yeah. Excalibur moment in the film. Ten years later... He makes Excalibur. He really is yes. obsessed with it. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he said that um, Brian De Palma's one of his good mates. And De Palma said to him, I'm making this film carry. I'll my ending. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pay homage to this because I, I love this so much. I misremembered um, the ending to this film and I thought that really happened. I, yeah, thought, John, I thought John Voight went to bed mm. and where somewhere else back in the wilds, the, the body floated yep. to the surface and then the film ended. And so I was expecting that. And actually, the fact that it's a dream, yeah. It, it works better because John Voight isn't over, clearly what happened, mm. but it isn't the ambiguous ending. Because I think after everything you've been through, having that like, oh, are they going to get discovered or are they not? We'll never know would be just too much. I completely film. thought it was real. Mm. And when I watched it this time, I was like, I can't believe that I, that I just decided that mm. 20 years ago. And I was disappointed. And I feel, I still... I wonder if it's a better ending. You I think, think it might be. <laughs> I still think that moment where we, he, he sees the graveyards being dug up and the bodies moved because of the flooding coming. Mm. I think that is still them telling us they're not in the clear. Yeah. This, this body might float up just like these, these bodies are floating up that we thought were buried. Yeah. That's what they did at Thrustcross Reservoir in Leeds as well. They moved the entire cemetery. You've got to. Hmm? Legally. Yeah. You don't want it to drinking water for Leeds City. We don't want to be drinking dead body. Whoa. What? Again. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the 15th century. Um, yeah, that's all I have, though. Um, well, I've got one more thing. Go on, go on. Uh, just in our continuing feature... What does Quentin Tarantino think? Oh, lovely, I've missed this. <laughs> We've, I think it's a, it's a great new feature where we, we tell you what Quentin Tarantino thinks without Please. Quentin Tarantino being on the show. Yet. My aim is if we keep doing this feature, eventually Tarantino will go, why don't I just come on and tell you? <laughs> it would just be easier at this point. Yeah. Uh, so Tarantino said, I saw Deliverance when I was eight. It scared the fuck out of me when I saw it. <laughs> 
after I saw it for a while, I didn't want to go camping because I thought that that could happen. The way people were scared of the beach after Jaws, I was scared of camping. So you fucking should be. That's Tarantino's thoughts. Do you want a relevant opinion? Uh, yeah. What was he called? The author, Jim... <laughs> James Dickey. James Dickey. James Dickey. Mm, flip-flopped about whether he liked this film or not, mainly because... <laughs> whether he you... had a drink in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> as you said, there was material uh, that happens afterwards. And also, the first third of the book is them at home. You get to know these characters a bit before it all kicks off. So he actually spent years trying to remake Deliverance. Right. Because he said he wasn't happy with it. And then um, his son, though, has said that was a time when he was being less creative. Mm. and stuff wasn't happening for him so he went back to his biggest success but he couldn't get off the ground because everyone was happy with Deliverance and he said it went away and he claims that ultimately he really secretly was happy with the film he just struggled to admit it sometimes Never go back to your old club isn't that right? Yes Yes. Unless you're Wilfred Zaha Right who is doing a great job oh, Fuck I had no idea what you're doing it's a football thing <laughs> a football Right thing. okay yeah. Did Ronaldo go back to Manchester United? Are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> and is that a bad thing? It's, having a, it's, a, it's a mixed season he's having, I'd right. say. Okay, I heard he was having a bit of a... There was a bit of ag in the dressing room with him and another player. Always going to happen with him. Right. He's a wind-up merchant. He is. He, goes, he loves, he loves it. Welcome to the football ramble. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like Wilfred. A bit like Wilfred, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, moving anyway, on. Anyway, uh, let's do the bits then, shall we? Yep. Uh, your best scene, please, Alex. Dueling banjos. Oh. Yeah, I just think it's fantastic. And I, I I don't know if I downloaded it. However, I got hold of that song uh, around the time. I think it must have been when we were at uni because I couldn't have got it when I watched it when I was 12 years old. I don't mm. know how you'd get hold of things back then, but before the internet. Um, but yeah, I, I got it on an MP3 as soon as I could and listened to it incessantly because I think it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Uh, Squirrel Like a Pig. <clears throat> it's brilliantly choreographed brilliantly shot it was interesting Borman explaining how complicated the blocking was to get it all right it's just it's and it's brilliantly done and you do see so little you hear a lot you see so little but you think you see more that's and it's, so true it's um it's a yeah it's a masterpiece but um I could have easily gone for the banjo scene they're two of the most famous <coughs> scenes in cinema yeah. I mean and there's a reason for that yeah I saw I went I started writing this and I was like I agree with you Chris it's not the actual rate because like obviously gross but the moments leading up to it, the choreography of it, and that moment as an audience viewer, you realise it is actually going to happen. It's a really big moment. But actually, I do think the best scene is um, Julian Banjo's because it's so unsettling mm. and pleasant as well. So mm. it's very, very weird. Uh, your most valuable whatever, Chris? Well, unbelievable debut from uh, Ned Beatty. Um, was this his first film? His first yeah. film, yeah. Him, him, and him and Ronnie Cox, um, Borman discovered uh, when he was looking for unknowns in the theatre. I was going to say, it, I, I, it must be quite a bold move for an actor. That that scene, the squeal like a pig yeah. scene. You know, for him to sort of go, yeah, okay, I'll do that because you yeah. are going to be remembered for that. Yeah, it's putting yourself out there. And he said that Reynolds came up to him towards the end of the shoot and said, "You're you're going to be a movie actor now." You you you've got all the tools, and what you've done in this film is unbelievable. And Reynolds doesn't give out compliments much mm. to other actors. Mm. Um, so Ned Beat is up there. Also, um, John Borman. Th- this is back in a time or, or in a period anyway in Hollywood when they would let directors pursue their vision. So he got no notes. There were no test screenings. This is entirely his movie. I think he did a good job, but it's most valuable, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am picking the song Dueling Banjos. <laughs> I'm the same as Alex. I actually, after I saw this film, bought it on CD. Right. That's what we, that was what we that's, had. That's how you did it. That's what we had <laughs> yeah. in those days. <laughs> at <that> Virgin Megastore. <laughs> um, and I still, to this day... Remember Virgin Megastore? <laughs> yeah, I do. I listen to Dueling Banjos all the time. How it's can a, you bear 
to listen it's to it's a song it. I like writing to and I, because I've listened to it so often the horrific sort of visual visuals and the the, the the idea behind this film is all gone it's just a good tune to me no way I know it's weird. I know it's weird. It's sick. I, 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 I like it on in the background. I, you, I mean, I couldn't write to it unless, <laughs> unless I was writing I something horrific. But it's not. It's a joy. It's a really it joyous is. song. It's, it I'm is. saying it's separated you from do. the film to me. Yeah, I agree. You take it out. You can listen to it, and it's a very fun, fun tune. Mm. Fun tune. I can't listen to it. Uh, my most valuable whatever is the late great Burt Reynolds. Um, obviously, he'll always be the bandit to me. But I do think this is one of, if not his finest performance. I think he's fantastic as Lewis in what is a really complex character. After his death in 2018, The Hollywood Reporter said of Reynolds, he always seemed to embody an uncomplicated, undiluted, effortlessly likeable strain of American masculinity that was driven much more by sunny mischief than angry machismo. Mm. And I think that's sort of kind of what you get here. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like that. He is... I think once you pull away like the bullshit, it's just like a kid, mm. like sort of like going, I want to, I want to be killing someone. <laughs> it's also, it also breaks my heart a little bit because is Boogie Nights the only other Burt Reynolds film we've done so far? We're obviously going to get to a couple more. I think so. Yeah. And it just makes you think what could have been with his career. I know Alex loves Smoking the Bandit. I when I was a kid, I loved Cannibal Run, mm. but. He got stuck in those roles and he got and he enjoyed the money that they made him. And you think, well, you could have been, you know, yeah. you could have been a Steve McQueen or a Paul Newman. Terms of Endearment was where he says sure. it went off the rails for him. Yeah. He turned that down to do Stroke Race because he yeah. felt like he owed Hal Needham. Stroke Race was a flop. Uh, Jack Nicholson did Terms of Endearment, went on to win the Oscar. Mm -hmm. And Burt Reynolds, ad verbatim, said, that's where I lost them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is Ned Beatty. Just because, I said it before, when he's... Uh, just the, the sexual assault scene just when he's running around in his pants and he's just doing as he's told and there's not even I don't know how it's written because I haven't read the script but the actor has not gone I will just try and just that last flourish of pretend masculinity to try and sort of tough my way out of it I will just comply and hope for the best and it doesn't work um, and I think that is a very powerful performance uh, what would you change Alex? Um, well, we kind of covered it already. I really do think the ending, it just fizzles out. It dribbles to a close after a, a roaring midsection. I think it's one thing to sideline Lewis, who I really feel has been a big part of this movie till now. But I just don't think the film makes the best use of the idea that Lewis is unconscious in a hospital bed. And now those I know John Voight is meant to have now had to step into that role anyway, since Lewis has been injured. But again, I just think there's, there's there's moments here where Lewis being out of action, even the rush to the hospital to sort of inform Lewis of the plan, like the plan has changed. It sort of, it never really hits the beats of like, are they going to make it in time? Are the police, or, or are they making their own way there? Yeah. And I know, is it intentional? You've got to believe it's John Borman. He's just made this incredible film. It's got to be intentional, but you just sort of like want a race to Lewis. Like, is the sheriff going to get there first? Yeah. And Lewis is going to let the cat out of the bag. And it just doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah he, he, Borman on the commentary says that scene doesn't really work. <laughs> and he also thinks that Bert, Bert Reynolds is quite terrible in that scene. The bit where he winks a little bit like... Yeah, he, okay, said he's, yeah. he said he's over the top and we should have reshot it. Mm. What about you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't agree. I don't That's agree with enough. what I've got written here. So um, I'm going to say I think Drew's turn should be a bit more gradual. 
Okay. It's a long enough film, but it's just, it's very, it's very sudden. And I think it could be more interesting if we saw a bit more of what's going on in his head. Um, mine is obviously the hand in the lake is 100% real it's uh, the way that it's shot it's not a dream <clears throat> but I would make Ed when he gets home his life isn't ruined he's done that thing on the trip back which a human being would do is justify the shit out of what he did and by the time he walks through the door he thinks his life is fine and his life is going to go back to normal and we are put into his headspace of like how could you possibly do something so awful and just kiss the wife and kids when you get in but you would do because you're human and you have to live and you have to be able to function and so he does that, but then the hand in the lake is real and he's got to be dragged straight back in to come and face up to what he's done. So he nearly had it. He nearly got away with it, but he didn't. Oh. Whereas I think at the moment... That's a really different ending and not a happy one for our yeah our cast because they're yeah. going back to face trial. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I couldn't deal with that. After the fucking journey that movie had put me through, That's I, true. <laughs> I, need, I need a happy ending. Mm. It's, the really get out. it's the get out argument, isn't it, about yeah. those two endings? Because mm. I don't think it is a happy ending. I think, I think no. we're okay. saying this man will no. never sleep again. I know, but it's a happier ending than going to jail for ever yeah. for yeah. just defending him. You want that? Um, I just... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, there is one of the moments, uh, just an aside, really. I don't know why. There's a moment where they speed the footage up where they're going over a waterfall and it's really noticeable. And it's only one moment in the film. I don't know whether they've sped it up elsewhere, but it just looks really sped up. Oh. And it didn't. It just sort of jarred me when you sort of like, I don't need anything sped up here because this is, this is a real river, real people, real canoes. <laughs> yes, they are. That's it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great stuff. Shall we do a quiz? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, then. Let me give you uh, <laughs> a little bit of a heads up on the quiz front. Uh, I did ask on the episode last week uh, whether we should keep doing the quiz because mm. Vicky and I are obviously very tense sometimes. There's a little tension in the room. Yep. A bit disrespectful for me. I was sitting in the room at the time. It's a 100% <laughs> positive response Is on it? Twitter to keep the quiz. Dirk says, definitely don't lose the quiz. Kirsten Ellen Young, I like the quizzes, especially when Vicky and Alex work together they both get loud and happy <laughs> uh ross don't get so nice. <laughs> don't get rid of the quiz it's like the dessert after the rest of the content it's even better now that we're past the incident but <laughs> the incident is still referenced and it is everyone's memory frankly protect the quiz at all costs anna fyi i love the quiz welsh and elsewhere i like the quiz if i'm honest so there we go <laughs> A hundred percent we're keeping the quiz. I'm sorry, I tried, Victoria. No, I'll tell you what, give the people what they want. I just, I'm genuinely shocked. <laughs> I didn't bother writing one this week. Oh, Great. Okay, well, we got... No, I did. Oh, cool. I did. A survival quiz. So um, I actually nicked this one because I don't have the knowledge to be able to write this quiz. So how stuff works... Should have come to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about to find out. Um, there are a website where I got this quiz, so go there. If you want to do the quiz yourself first. Uh, I googled survival quiz and it came up first. So... Uh, these are all going to be multiple choice this time. Okay. Okay. Let's work together. All right. It, people like it. Kirsten likes it, at least when <laughs> yeah. that happens. We get loud and happy. <laughs> yeah, <we do. laughs> uh, how long can a human go without food as long as they have water? Okay. Three days, four weeks, eight weeks. We'll do it one. So you go first this time and then I'll go first next time. What was it? What did you say? Three days, four weeks, or eight weeks? Mm -hmm. Four weeks. Eight weeks. Point to Alex. Eight oh weeks, God. according to how stuff works. I have uh, no idea. What's the emergency smoke signal to send if you're in trouble? Bursts of three quick puffs, long puff, short puff, long puff, or three long puffs? <laughs> three long puffs. Three short puffs. Point to Vicky. Oh. One, one. Uh, really testing our knowledge this week. <laughs> this isn't guesswork. 
<laughs> in a survival scenario, you should avoid eating insects that have a hard shell, have a stinger, or are brightly coloured or pungent. Oh, it's your go first. Brightly coloured. Yeah, I'm, I'm having brightly coloured as well. Correct. Well played. Uh, what colour flare should you signal to indicate an emergency? White, red, or either colour? Either colour. I also believe it's either colour, so I'm just going to have to go with my heart and say that. Incorrect. Red. Oh. Uh, yeah, red was the answer. Damn white it. White is a non-emergency situation. The question really? was an emergency situation. But you still have to light a flare. What, are you just telling people you're okay? You better say that on the fucking box. <laughs> We're having a brilliant time. What a shock's got its arm in my mouth. I'm hanging over the edge of a dinghy and I fire a white flare. They'll be like, Ugh, be there by morning. <laughs> What's the easiest way to catch fish in a survival situation? Bare hands, spear or traps and snares? It's Victoria. Is it Victoria? Yeah, it's Victoria this time. Well, what was it? What were we watching about tickling trout? That's uh, Danny the Champion of the World. <laughs> yeah, we weren't watching yeah, that. We were, we were, I was no, reading. No, and I've told you before, don't mention the book. It's the worst Roald Dahl book. <laughs> um, traps and snares. Ugh, Alex. Damn it, traps and snares. Spear what? is the correct answer. If you're a good marks person. Marks person. <laughs> uh, Are you laughing? No. <laughs> Finally. If I laugh silently, you don't get to say I'm laughing. Do you know where I work? And I've never loved my boss more. We were talking about needing people. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't know where you work. Wait, come on. No, I know you don't. <laughs> we needed people at like an exhibition thing. And you, the phrase is man the tables. Hmm. And he said people the tables. And I was like, I work in the right place. It was brilliant. Mm. Or person get, the get, tables. Get, like get, less, get less done though, because it takes longer, more syllables. <laughs> and also people have to go... Man, right. Yeah, we all have to work it out. Person to two. It's too late. The party's (laughs) over. Uh, Alex, how many days can the human body live without water? Three days, eight days or 14 days? Three days. It is three days. Yes, it is three days. It's a draw. (gasps) Oh, cute. We worked together (laughs) and we got happy. So. Uh Uh-oh. There has to be a winner. So uh, this is going to be who answers this first. This is not multiple choice. You've got to jump in. Shit. Maybe I'll only accept your first answer. Okay. Okay. So you get one shot at this. Okay. (laughs) Um, According to Wikipedia and a peer-reviewed article published 2009 in the International Journal of Digital Earth, what's the longest river in the world? The Amazon. (sighs) It's the... I was going to say that, but I can't say that. I guess you could say that because the way Chris looked, I don't want to help you, but he's he wouldn't ask the question if it was definitely, obviously, the river that we all know. Oh, it'll be like some new thing where they've just gone. Actually, we remessage it. Oh, the Mississippi. No, it's the Nile. The fucking Nile. Why Jesus. do I bother? Why did you not go with the Nile? I don't know. I was setting you up for that. It's, it's one of the two. It's either the Nile or the Amazon. I thought the Nile was quite small. No. <laughs> so we both win. Yay! Yay! It's a draw. The first ever draw okay. in the history of the quiz. But it, next, I mean, now I'm annoyed because I, I was like, fucking shit, it would have obviously been the Nile. Yeah, but now I didn't beat you, so you must be happy. I am happy. Yeah. I am happy. I'm happy. It's great. Great. How are you, Chris? That's the first draw we've had. I'm annoyed. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, that's my fault. Mississippi. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's the Chattanooga because of deliverance. Yeah. Right then, Clash Putters. Uh, What is the pairing for next week? It's Vicky. Vicky, it's your pairing. That's right. It's your pairing, which means we get a Victoria shaped clue. That's right. What have you got? It's it's all right this week. Groomed for lies. 
That's good. See, yeah. I got the nod. Yeah, you got a nod. Yeah. Chris gave you a nod. Got yeah. a nod. It's good. Groomed for lies. That is your clue for next week's pairing. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have the time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We are back on Thursday talking Southern Comfort. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.